it's not just the sex. A lot of people think that if there's no sex in a book and there's no profanity, that they're great. But if they're indoctrinating you to hate God, Christians are terrible people. Dads are always idiots in kids' books. The family has been destroyed in kids' books. And they've completely changed your child's worldview. Is that okay because there wasn't any sex or profanity? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. It's Fearless with Mark and Amber. I'm your co-host, Amber Archer. And joining me, as always, is my husband, filmmaker and author, Mark Archer. Hello, hello. Other co-host. So this is a husband and wife show journaling our efforts through our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, and our new documentary film, The Mind Polluters. So today we're picking up where we left off from Tuesday's episode with a conversation we had with longtime children's book reader and researcher Debbie DeGroff. Now, if you missed part one, you can find that episode on our website and subscribe to the show by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. And today's going to be interesting because for anyone who has children in the school system or grandchildren in the school system who participate in the AR program, otherwise known as Accelerated Reader, she's going to go in and explain what she's found with some of the books that are on the Accelerated Reader list mm-hmm. because they have to be you know, approved to compile this list. So for anybody who doesn't know what Accelerated Reader is, let me just give you a quick history of the program. So, and I got this from the School Library Media Research, the research journal of the American Association of School Librarians. The Accelerated Re- Reader program was developed by Judith Paul at her kitchen table in 1984. Paul's own children provided the motivation to develop the program. She wanted them to read good books, so she incorporated behaviorist motivational techniques coupled with technology. Her husband was a technologist, and AR was born, Stevenson and Camrata, 2000. The learning information system known as AR is a software program designed to facilitate curriculum-based assessment of reading comprehension of real books by students and analyze and summarize the results. So our kids do AR in school, Mm -hmm. and depending upon the kinds of books that they read, there are different numbers and levels. You know, you get so many points for answering questions right. Did you read the book? I mean, not a bad, not a bad idea. No, there's nothing wrong. And Debbie even says, listen, we're all for kids reading books. Mm -hmm. Reading increases your comprehension, you know, instead of sitting and playing games and uh, being on social media, read a book. And there's, it's not an issue with what AR is on its face. It's a question of who is watching the watchers, right? Who is, who is it that's making the decisions on which books are approved to be part of AR because when it's part of AR and you've got AR going in a school, then they, the kids will migrate towards the books that they can get credit for. Mm-hmm. And Debbie's point, when you read her book, which is called Between the Covers, and we have a link to it in the show notes, mm-hmm. you should definitely pick up a copy of her book. It is, it is chock full very thick with information and Mm -hmm. research. Mm -hmm. But the point that she makes is who is it that has approved these books? Because as she points out all through the book, 
there are some wicked, wicked books mm-hmm. on the approved AR list. You know, and I was just thinking as right before we started the show and while we're sitting here talking, and I thought, my next question is, who's writing the questions? Mm-hmm. Somebody has to write these questions. They, and- these can be prompting types of questions well and and yeah that's a good question and as debbie points out listen we don't know where do these summaries come from who writes the questions and i can almost guarantee you because we have seen this let's take it back to what we do in the film world Mm -hmm. when you make an uh, a contractual agreement with an outlet like a streaming channel and like we just did this with inwood drive so mm-hmm. inwood drive is available on on amazon prime it's available now on peeps tv it's available on vimeo on demand and when you deal with these end uh these end users right the people that are running the channels well they don't know anything about your film so they right. ask you give mm-hmm. me Here's a list of what it's called deliverables. I need this file and this file and this file, and I need... Is it appropriate for this age group? Right. Mm -hmm. And they want descriptions. I need a short summary. I need a long summary, right? And that's generated by who? Us. The content creators. (laughs) We're the ones writing it. That's Mm -hmm. the... and, And people just in the business understand that's what... That's what... Part of what you have to do for your product any product is like that. Yeah. If you're going to sell it, well, I need pictures, I need marketing shots, I need, you know, if you've got something that you're going to try and get on the shelves of Walmart. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. So that's generated by uh, arguably by the most biased people that there are. <laughs> right. Well, and it also uh, in this in this same report, the AR selection process, they they even state in an effort to attain the goal and that's getting as many books as possible that are likely to be in the school libraries. Here are some of the things that they look for. Okay. Books that are frequently suggested by customers. It says through their quiz store on the web. Books that are award winners. Well, Red flag. I've, I've seen quite a few award winner books that I would not let my children read. I mean, total mm-hmm. compromised worldview. Not going to do it. Well, it's just, and we can point out that generally uh, award-winning books, award-winning films, I can, first person experience here, I can tell you that the film that I won the most awards for, I don't want anybody listening to this podcast to watch (laughs) because it is not a God-honoring film at all. Mm -hmm. The film that I'm the most proud of so far is one that will never win an award. <laughs> right. And that's Inwood Drive. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. As unto the Lord. So also, books receiving positive reviews, such as publications in the School Library Journal, the Horn Book, and uh, Kirkus. Books that, are rem- books that are recommended on reading lists, such as state lists. Well, I kind of got a problem with some of those too, especially when you get into the older demographic of children and, and their books and again anytime it says recommended you know mm-hmm. approved who's who's watching the watchers who, right recommended by who right approved by who mm-hmm. so anyway so today you're going to hear from debbie DeGroff, who's got some insight of i mean she has spent decades reading fictional children's books and understanding and seeing the trends and like she talked about 
um, on Tuesday's podcast, the different threads and patterns of these books mm-hmm. and the the major publishing companies and the types of titles that they're taking and pushing out to the schools and the libraries. Right. And this comes also down to, uh, like we talked about on Tuesday, getting past that threshold of disbelief. Mm-hmm. The, so much of this, the, the, the first major step is, is getting past our initial resistance. I don't want to, I don't want to believe this, even though I see all the evidence in front of me, I don't want to believe that it, that this is actually happening. Mm-hmm. And I just would point out that the evidence is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It, all we got to do is look at, just look at, and we, we did a whole podcast m- several months ago about music and how it's changed through the decades. Mm-hmm. And, so look at just something like that and how it used to be so innocent and now it's gotten so perverse. Perverse. Well, this is the same way you train anybody, you know, if you're going to teach someone how to play basketball, for example. You don't start off by setting them out there and saying, "No, you know, do do a, a layup and some three-point shots." No, you te- you start s- small. The basics. The basics. Here's how you hold the ball. Here's the rules. Here's Well, how and you- let's just let's just point out the basics of reading. She starts con- talking about controlled vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And we have had this conversation in prior episodes with Alex Newman, who was a co-author of Crimes of the Educators. Mm-hmm. I would encourage everyone to read that book. Once you read it, it's eyes wide open. You mm-hmm. see it for what it is. And and can we, is there anyone in the sound of our voice who can argue that we don't live? <laughs> the, the world that we live in right now is all about controlled vocabulary. Yes. We've, we've outlawed, we've banned these words. You're not allowed to say the N word and the A word and the B. We used to say things, and now you have to say the pronouns and properly, that, right? And and we we we're banning words, we're banning phrases, we're we're trying to police people's thoughts. Hello, controlled vocabulary. This is it's it's the incremental steps, right? Mm-hmm. So so like we were saying with basketball, you it's incremental. Any sport, it's incremental. This is how you train. And you I, have I, a dog, would, you have pet dogs, you train them incrementally to learn how to obey your commands. This and is and what, I would just add that there are some some words that should not be used. However, you're right, not I, going to you're not going to control people or their vocabulary. Right. I'm and I'm not I'm not justifying things that are offensive. I'm saying that who's watching the watchers right mm-hmm. it's this who is it that that is making up these rules of you can't say that anymore says who mm-hmm. <laughs> so who appointed you whoever this is who appointed them the you know the ad- it's a, it's, adjudicator it's, it's of, like the the censoring the facebook censoring you right. can't you can't share that news article right we disagree right. you're not allowed because we we don't like it well without so, further ado yes let's get to part two of debbie de Groff. up till the time that whole word or look-say or word-guessing or sight-reading or whatever the latest term is. Up to that point, we taught the children the sounds of the English language, and they learned how to put them together, and they learned how to read. And so what happens is you have a controlled vocabulary then. If you're talking about a whole word, you have to learn how to recognize the word. So, for example, I have three gin readers 
um, from uh, probably the late 40s. And the first preprimer, one of your first 22 words, I believe, is airplane. So mind you, you've never read before, an airplane is one of your first words. Okay, now, you know, if you think about the word, if you know how to read phonetically, A-I-R, you know, that would not be the first thing you would give a child. But it was easy to recognize because it was one of the longest words of the 22. And also every one of those pictures that had the word, pages that had the word airplane had a corresponding picture. Now, the third book in that series of the preprimers has the word up. Okay, so you understand you have airplane in your first book and you get up in your third book. And of course, up would be harder to recognize because you have so many two letter words that are, you know, shaped the same way. So you have to ask yourself, number one, if we're going to a controlled vocabulary and you live in California and I live in Ohio and we both move to Georgia next year, how are we both going to be able to read the same material in Georgia unless the controlled vocabulary is pretty much the same in California as it was in Ohio? So the word list started merging together. So I actually collect a lot of these vintage readers and you read and they'll tell you this corresponds with, you know, the Thorndike list or whatever list was out there at the time, the, the Dolch one. So when you have a controlled vocabulary and you're learning to recognize, you're not learning sounds. And that's why a lot of times you would find that children would be able to read those particular readers, but if you isolated the word and you had it written on a page, they might not, not be able to recognize it because number one, the picture's not there either. So where Alex wrote the book, with Sam Blumenfeld and Sam had written other books on that. And of course I have, you know, um, Sam's phonics program. I started reviewing my first grade teacher's manuals. And it will tell you flat out in there, we do not teach the sounds of the vowels, that they are not necessary. I'd tell you flat out in there, it isn't necessary to teach the vowel sounds for you to be able to figure out a word. And this is where it's confusing. So you ask your teacher, are you teaching phonics? And they'll say, yes, we are. And they're not really lying to you. They just don't understand teaching phonetically. Okay, so they're teaching the initial sound of the word and the ending sound of the word. But basically it's a guess thing because of context, what makes sense in the sentence or a picture. So basically that's controlled vocabulary. If you go into the boxcar children, okay, the first book was actually written in 1924 and it was much different than she was. She was a school teacher too. And so she wrote this book for her kids. And that was 1924. By 1942, she was supposed to rewrite the book and the rewrites and then the following books, Surprise Island and all of those, those went along with the controlled vocabulary. So it's very interesting. A parent can go on the, the Gutenberg Project site and you can see the 1924 edition and read it and compare it yourself. And this is the great thing about what I do because so many times we hear people, every day we hear videos and we don't have any way of substantiating to know whether you're telling me the truth or not. 
But with what I'm saying, you can actually look it up for yourself. It's easy. If I'm talking about a book or you know whatever, look it up. Look it up. Read it for yourself and see if it's true. And most of the time, you're going to find out it's worse than what you've heard me say. So tell me about writing your book. What led you to write all this down? And what's been the response when parents see it and find out what's happening? Well, the first of all, I never wanted to write a book. <laughs> and I know it's not perfect, okay? Um, Dr. Reisman uh, emphatically told me that I was going to die with the information in my head if I didn't write it down. And so that's initially why I started to write the book. Um, I've had to cover a lot of different issues in the book because I didn't want to make it about one thing. Okay, I, I counted on the controlled vocabulary, the reading levels, all of those things are foundational to understand before you can go into the con content of kids' books. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the sex. A lot of people think that if there's no sex in a book and there's no profanity, that they're, they're great. Mm -hmm. But if they're indoctrinating you to hate God, Christians are terrible people. Dads are always idiots in kids' books. The family has been destroyed in kids' books. And they've completely changed your child's worldview. Is that okay because there wasn't any sex or profanity? So true. Such a great point. What do you have in your book between the covers? Okay, the first three chapters actually deal with reading. Uh, what they what children were reading for pleasure in 1900 and then showing the change. Um, I show the reading methods and how that played into this. I have a whole chapter explaining what reading levels are because most parents are familiar with that. And after that, then I go into different aspects of reading. Um, if you have a child that is, say, in junior high or high school and they don't read well, normally what the teacher will tell you when you come into a conference is your child is a reluctant reader. Now, that could mean anything from they don't know how to read well, they don't like to read well for whatever reason. But so there's whole books that are geared towards reluctant readers, so how do they get a reluctant reader to want to read? Well, most of the time, it is the sex and the profanity or the occultism or, you know, whatever, ever vice known to man. Typically, that's what you're going to find in the reluctant reader. I also have a chapter where I exclusively deal with how Christianity is addressed in kids' books, and I give lots and lots of examples. I have a chapter that shows the influence of following Kinsey. Since his book came out in 1948, how were books changed for children? And so I basically start in the 60s, and I show decade after decade after decade what has happened in children's books in light of that. I show how they create social justice warriors and that begins with preschool. 
it's, you know, parents will look at some of my examples of young adult literature and they will be absolutely horrified and they should be. But my concern is you should see what they're doing with the preschoolers because the shaping begins now at birth. And that is a great concern to me. So I show you how, how that is done. Um, I have a lot of that on my website. I have articles trying to show, you know, how the change is made with the children. Um, I talk about authentic voices because now the publishers want, uh, if you're a transgender, then you can write a transgender book. But if you're not a transgender, you're not authentic voice. So the transgender would have have uh, more power to get that job than somebody that wouldn't. And what I like to bring up is that is not the qualification for a good author. And I look at Charles Dickens when he wrote you know, the, the old curiosity shop, you know, and when he's writing about little now, and you had people lining up at the wharf in New York, waiting for the latest edition to come out with the, the, the ending to see whether she lived or died. She was a 14 year old girl. Charles Dickens was not a 14 year old girl. He was not an authentic voice, but obviously he struck a chord with many, many people. And so I show things like that in the book. I talk a lot about what is censorship and what is it not. And so that's a big part of that. There's also whole categories of adult books, books that are written for adults. But the School Library Journal and the American Library Association have notifications or awards of books that they choose from the adult realm that they believe that were vital to your 12 to 18 year olds. And so I give examples of those, which I think it would be very important for parents to take a look at. So you were talking about reading levels earlier. Mm -hmm. Is that the AR or accelerated reader that you're talking about? That is one of them. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so on accelerated reader, you know, they're supposed to, you know, this is supposed to be encouraging kids to read more and more and more. You know, however, I have a problem with those reading levels, but they always have a description on their website. And some of them will say that it has profanity. Some of them will say that it has graphic profanity or graphic sex or pervasive profanity, things like that. So let's say one of those pervasive profanity has 200 F words in it, okay? One book I have has over 1,300 F words, and that's the nicest part of the book. Okay. But you also have descriptions of books that have over 200 F words that do not even mention profanity. So what I'm saying is you can't really trust those reviews. Now, I'm guessing that most of those, those summaries are probably come from the publisher and not Accelerated Reader. I don't really know how that works but you cannot trust those descriptions or those levels. And so I go into great detail comparing little children's books to a young adult book, and they are on exactly the same level. So if you have a young adult book that is totally sexual and it's on a third grade reading level, which much of these books are, 
Okay, and then you have a little tiny kid's book that you're familiar with, and it's on that same reading level. What is your child supposed to think? Yeah, so you cannot go by the reading level as a parent. You have to go by the content of the book. All right, with Accelerated Reader, one of the things you have to concern about is a teacher has possibly 100 to 125 students a day because they'll have six or seven class periods, maybe 20 to 25 kids in each period. So when an English teacher would go to assign a book, most of the schools don't have 125 copies of the same book or even maybe enough for a classroom. And so what happens is they let them choose Many, all schools don't have Accelerated Reader. We're just talking about that one. But they let them choose a book, maybe in a particular genre. You know, maybe we're reading a mystery or an adventure or whatever. So they pick that and the teacher has no way of knowing the content of all 125 books because they could all be different. Every child could have chosen a different book. So here's where the problem comes in. So the teacher does not have to come up with discussion questions because remember, she doesn't know the content. She doesn't have to develop test questions or spelling or anything like that. When the child finishes the book, they take a quiz online and then there's an automatic score. If they have so many, uh, if they get such and such a grade, then they get points. You know, and a lot of the classrooms argue about the point, you know, because if they get so many points, then they beat the other classroom. They get a pizza party and the kids that didn't participate, then they don't get the pizza party. And there's even cheat sites online for Accelerated Reader. So it wasn't saying that it, in essence, had an, had an evil intent. But I'm just saying you can't trust that when it, you know, people will say, well, the teacher wouldn't have assigned that, you know, if there was anything bad about it. But the, the truth of the matter is the teacher may not even have a clue as to what is in that book. I think that's the most interesting thing there towards the end that she talks about that the teachers a lot of times, a lot of times the teachers really don't have any clue what is and i'm not bashing on them they don't have time they don't have time <laughs> and they don't have nearly the flexibility that they that you think that they do and i and and to that also there's a lot of parents myself included i can look and say i don't have time to read every book that my mm -hmm. child is reading i am so grateful and thankful for someone like debbie who will give an honest you know biblically centered opinion about a book that she has read mm -hmm. is it is it good is it bad what's in it you know what what do i need to look out for yeah and isn't it interesting to what she said about how you uh how you motivate reluctant readers you increase and it, it kind of goes back to what ken ham talked about in the churches with the music with the music that that uh you have people who are not coming anymore. They're hesitant. They're, they're gospel hesitant, right? We can call them that. <laughs> yeah. They're church hesitant. Well, how do you how do you get them back? Well, you increase entertainment. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what they're doing with books. These books that are designed for hesitant readers, they increase entertainment, or they increase the the porn factor, mm -hmm. or the violence factor, mm -hmm. or the vulgarity. occultism vulgarity. Right. Well, here's something that you'll like. Yeah. And that's 
listen, it's, it's the oldest trick in the book. And in mm-hmm. the film business, I was guilty of this for a long time. And I, I, we would joke about this all the time. We would say, listen, sex sells and we're buying. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's true. Sex sells. If you want to, if you want people to pay attention to a character, then you, uh, you increase the sex appeal. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's, that's how you spice up your movie, right? Well, mm-hmm. that's what they're doing with the books. Mm-hmm. So let's listen to, uh, what you're going to hear on, next week's uh, Tuesday episode, part three with Debbie DeGroff. So if I'm doing books about Islam, juvenile books, you find out how long they are in their, what we would call church services. What I'm trying to tell you is they're learning their doctrine. But how much are we really in a Christian church? How much of our children learning when we give them a page to color while they're eating their cookies and their potato chips and losing their crayons and finding a crayon and dropping their Kool-Aid and cleaning that up and we're reading a little story. How much doctrine are they really being taught? Well, thank you guys for listening and join us again on Tuesday to listen to part three with Debbie. And if you would like to help get involved in sharing this message to as many parents and grandparents as possible, sharing the truth, you can partner with us through our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and you become a force multiplier for truth when you give to this ministry. There are three easy ways to give. You can do it online, text to give, or by mail. Visit fearlessfeatures.org forward slash give to give online. Text classrooms to 27777. Again, that's classrooms with an S to 27777. Or you can mail your support to Fearless Features, P.O. Box 85061, Fort Wayne, Indiana 46885. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end. That's all the time we have for today. We will talk to you again on Tuesday. Have a wonderfully blessed day. Take care.